Hi, everybody. Welcome to the April 13th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Duzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to start with a very special thanks to Patty Calhoun for filling in for me last week while I was away. Thank you very much, Patty. I hope you enjoyed all the great questions she asked. We'll be back to babbling questions for me for this week. Let's get a quick take on Senator Cory Gardner announcing this week that he's lifting his blocks of judicial nominees since he received a verbal commitment from President Trump that, the, that Colorado's marijuana industry will not be impacted by the Justice Department's Precision of the Cole Memo. Petty, this broke uh, just this morning on Friday, right before we taped. Uh, it seems significant only because it's been covered as a pretty big deal. What do you think? Well, it's a win-win for Gardner and for Colorado. He swears he spoke to Trump on Wednesday, got an assurance that Colorado's legal marijuana industry would not be affected by Sessions' rescission of the Cole Memo back in January comes just in time as a birthday present for 420. <laughs> Indeed. David Copel from the Independence Institute and uh, DU Law School. Uh, we haven't had a whole lot of time to analyze this. The news just uh, broke on Friday morning. But uh, at first blush, what do you uh, make of the announcement? Oh, great for Senator Gardner. Of, of all of our congressional delegation and, and state-level officials, it was Gardner and Gardner alone who was the point man on this who, and who changed things and applied the pressure at the correct point, held up uh, nominees to the U.S. Department of Justice. And not only did he get protection for Colorado, but he also says he got Trump to agree. And, of course, Trump's agreement on anything can be ephemeral. But at least at the moment, Trump is supporting permanent change in federal law which is the appropriate thing to do for the long term, uh, so that states that want to go one way on marijuana have their states' rights protected, and states that want to go the other way, they can have their states' rights protected, and the federal government shouldn't interfere with either. Penfield Tate, attorney at QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, what do you make of the deal brokered by Senator Cory Gardner? Well, if nothing else, it shows that Senator Gardner is consistent. I find it ironic that he conspired with Senate Republicans to steal a Supreme Court nomination from President Obama and intentionally would not hold hearings so that that nominee who became Neil Gorsuch could then be appointed by President Trump. Um, and I don't know. I agree with David. Any agreement with, with Trump is ephemeral at best. And I might say the same with Cory Gardner, because if you make him mad, he'll hold your judge, judges hostage. And right at the panel, Noel Phillips, a uh, reporter with the Denver Post, also a member of the Denver Newspaper Guild. It's great to have you on the panel back here. Uh, Noel, what do you make of this big announcement and of the ability of Senator Cory Gardner to, uh, as, as it's been reported, craft this deal? Well, we'll see if the deal holds. I mean, just this morning, NPR was doing an analysis on Trump's comment to a group of uh, senators about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and how he, maybe we should be a part of that. And they're like, oh, he just tells his audience what he wants to hear was part of the analysis. Um, it'll be interesting to see, too, like how this has played out in Colorado, because as far as we can tell, the U.S. Attorney's Office has been proceeding business as usual even though the Cole memo was no longer in place, that kind of gave them guidelines on how to enforce federal marijuana laws. They've kind of been following, it seems to be they've been following it anyway, even though it's not in existence. And I still think the U.S. attorneys in states where there's legalized marijuana would like clarification on how to proceed on these, this issue. Be interesting to see if they get that clarification. Yeah. The Denver Post editorial staff made national headlines over the weekend after publishing a scathing series of editorials aimed at its owner, Alden, Cap Alden Global. Led by editorial page editor Chuck Plunkett, the various columns called out the hedge fund for its cynical strategy to reduce the quality of the paper, increase subscription rates, 
all while greatly reducing staff. And on a personal note, I thought it was uh, fantastic. If you hadn't had a chance to see it, uh, it's uh, really uh, fantastic to see what they put together. Uh, this picture, I think, really says it all. And I like the fact that not only you see it from the editorial board, but our, our own friend John Caldera, who doesn't <laughs> necessarily agree with uh, the Post all the time, is included. Uh, Patty, this was it made national headlines, but do you think it will make a difference uh, in what is happening with the Post? You hope it will make a difference because even a paper you don't like is better than no paper at all. Denver is much less rich since the Rocky Mountain News went away, since we were a two-newspaper town less than 10 years ago. Uh, we are missing, and now with the Post staff decimated, you know, bad guys are getting away with stuff all the time. There is too much going on in this city for the number of reporters that are out there to cover. And it's not, you're not just a watchdog as a newspaper. You're also kind of the beloved family pet because you're cheerleading great things that are happening in the city, too. Think about all the events going on that never get covered because there's no one to cover them. There's no space to put them in. So any newspaper is better than no newspaper, and a robust post would be great. The problem is... Alden Capital has shown absolutely no indication that they have any conscience at all. They are just wringing every penny they can out of the Denver Post. They don't care. So are they going to care that suddenly the entire world realizes how horrible they are? Doesn't seem like it. Randall Smith, the owner, has, what, 17 mansions in Palm Beach. I'm sure he can pay for one or two more by the time he is done taking millions out of the Denver Post. Uh, it's depressing. The people want to save the Denver Post. What they should remember is it's not just a matter of coming up with enough money to buy the paper. It is then supporting that paper or another paper. You have to agree to advertise. You have to agree to subscribe. It's, you know, democracy is a two-way street. It takes a lot of time and money to do reporting, and you have to support it. David, what do you think the odds are that we're going to see, I guess, some action, some voices, even though, you know, in a, in a free market, which I would fully endorse, you can't uh, make Alden Global uh, sell, but what can happen in the community that would keep up the heat? Oh, I, I, uh, for one thing, this courageous protest by the Post staff has gotten tremendous national coverage and support. It made the front page of the New York Times. Uh, the Washington Post has covered it, and some of the other... Uh, captives of Alden, which owns lots of papers around the country, especially in California, uh, like the San Jose Mercury News, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, they're also starting to, to act up and, and protest. Um, it's not so much that the Post has to be bought by somebody because the Post actually has no capital assets, essentially. Um, somebody else could alternatively just come in and start a different newspaper probably hire away a bunch of the people who are still at the Post, a lot of those who have been fired. The Post is not a money-losing proposition. The latest round of cuts is because they didn't meet their target of a 25% profit margin, which is a rather immense profit margin uh, for any business on a consistent basis. Their Alden Capital is killing the goose that's been laying their golden eggs by degrading the quality of the paper so low. And it's not just the, of course, the coverage of government and public affairs is very important, but other people, you know, they enjoy the paper for the sports section and the amount of sports coverage you can get. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, and Ohio State versus Michigan, news that you can get someplace else, but coverage of DU and CU sports, things like that, is drastically down uh, compared to 10 or 15 years ago in, in the Denver Post. Um, and what they're doing already is, as they 
kill this paper, driving other people to start looking for alternative news sources. So, for example, just yesterday, I took out a three-year subscription to Colorado Politics, uh, a weekly newspaper that also does uh, uh, daily web updates. And, and you have to at this point. I didn't want to spend all that money on it, but uh, given how constricted the post is now, how tiny its news hole is, you have to start looking elsewhere. And, of course, I'm, I'm also uh, flirting with the Denver Business Journal. I've signed up for their free email, and, and probably they'll eventually seduce me into, into paying for a, a print subscription. And people are increasingly going to have to do that uh, as Alden uh, kills a once great paper. Penn, let's uh, piggyback on what Dave was talking about, about other options. Do you think if there isn't a situation here where there can be a community, uh, <laughs> the proverbial bake sale that raises the money to buy a, uh, a company that the owner won't sell, is this a cue for maybe somebody like a Phil Anschutz who's behind Colorado Politics, which is actually part of the Gazette, does that get emboldened by saying, hey, if this is the reaction, there could be more folks. There's already a lot of folks, Joy Bunch being one of them, who used to get reporting at the Denver Post and is now with Colorado Politics. Do you think we'll see more efforts like that? You know, I think we might. And to both Patty and David's points, uh, clearly Alden is very cynical about this, and they're doing this just to make money. And, and it's what's what's equally disturbing is is the way they're manipulating the current staff of the Post, because they know these folks want to stay there and do good work, which means they're going to work and do their best to be profitable, which means that Alden is getting rewarded for the very behavior that we're all criticizing and, and talking about. And, and that's the, the more difficult thing. But, no, I, I think we will see other options emerge. I worry about some of these online options because I don't think they hold to the same journalistic standards as the Post and the Rocky in terms of verifying and double verifying and cross verifying. That worries me. Um, and the other thing is, first, we have to applaud Chuck Plunkett and the staff for the courageous steps they took somebody's going to get fired, not as part of a layoff, but because they did this. I think Alden's just waiting for the dust to settle before they start sweeping some folks out. But there needs to be a community call to action. If, 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 to Patty's point, democracy is a two-way street. You can't get coverage of the sheriff's department and the police department and the state legislature and everything unless you buy and subscribe and pay for the coverage you want. You have to help keep your watchdogs in place, and we as a community have to do that. And I hope we do step up. And hopefully maybe somebody like Phil Anschutz or someone else in this community is emboldened. But the community's got to be outraged and got to keep beating the drum about this. Right. Noel, you're uh, literally in the belly of the beast here that we're talking about. Yeah. What What is the situation with you and your fellow coworkers, and what, I guess, is the hope for what could what happen next? Well, um, there's been like a whole just series, I guess, of emotions. So when the announcement was first made, I described it as someone swinging a baseball bat at my stomach and completely taking my breath away. When we got noticed that we were going to have a staff meeting and that we all needed to be there, it's the unwritten code, there's going to be another round of layoffs. This would be, we've had these in 2015, 2016. There was one in 2017 that was small. And this email came out about this meeting, and I was like, there's no way they can even get to double digits on this cut. No way. And then uh, Leanne Colasiopo, our executive editor, stood up, and, you know, journalists don't want you to blow smoke, and we want you to tell it like it is. And she's like, I'm going to tell you like it is. It's not good. I need to cut 30. That's a third of our staff. And the room just was like, Ugh. And, and so you, then you, you grieve, and then you get angry, and then there's this also, like, journalism and reporting is a calling for most of us. We believe... Um, 
that it's a public service and that it's not just uh, a job. We're not, you know, ringing a cash register or have like a corporate accounting job that we could walk away from tomorrow and go get another one somewhere else if we're not happy. Like there's one place in Denver, Colorado to do this job and it's at the Denver Post. And it's extremely important and we all like our, those of us who are left are still committed to being the best journalists that we could be under the circumstances that we face. And so, you know, I still plan on uh, covering Denver Police, Denver Sheriff, Aurora Police, um, Colorado Bureau of Investigation, tell you what your law enforcement is doing, tell you what crime trends are going on in your neighborhoods, because that's my job, and I want to continue to do it, and I, would wa I want to con continue to do it in Denver, Colorado, and I hope there's some solution playing out that allows me to do that. I think I speak for I know my, my colleagues and I on uh, on this show, we've relied on both The Rock and The Ember Post for over 25 years. So uh, I, I hope that uh, that better future is indeed something that can still happen in Denver, Colorado that you talk about. Thank you. Me too. After discovering signatures collected by Kennedy Enterprises on his behalf may be fraudulent, Republican gubernatorial candidate Walker Stapleton requested that his name be taken off the ballot this week. Stapleton will now attempt to make the ballot through the GOP State Assembly, which is held tomorrow on Saturday. David, uh, Stapleton has been described as a uh, front-runner, uh, so him going to the assembly isn't a huge risk. I mean, anything can happen, uh, obviously, but it seems that the bigger effect is going to be what his placement there and the votes that he will need, what, how that will uh, affect both Cynthia Kaufman and the other folks running. What do you think? You know, for about two decades I've been at this table with, with Patty and whatever political race gets talked about and forecasting, Patty often says, oh, this, and this race is going to be wild. And she's being very sincere. But it, it's said with, you know, it sometimes seems like the same person might be saying, oh, you've got to go to the student council meeting this week. It is going to be fantastic. Um, but this time, it really has been wild. We have, before we've even got to the, the, the start line, Three front runners out. George Brockler, he was the front runner about a year ago. Uh, now he's running for attorney general. Then Tom Tancredo was the the front runner because of his name recognition and, and long political past. He's out. Ed Perlmutter, utter powerhouse congressman in Colorado, invincible in his district. He was the front runner. Now he's gone. And now we have another front runner who at least is in peril. Uh, because he's got to get to that 30% threshold. There's a lot of candidates out there, and, and anything can happen. And uh, I, I think it took a lot of guts for him to pull his, uh, say, decertify my petitions after the Secretary of State had already uh, certified them. Uh, and people are trying to make political points on it. I, I think he did, did the right thing under the circumstances. And of course on the Democratic side, also the, the state conventions going on, that's going to be a big thing. Is, is Jared Polis or uh, Kerry Kennedy going to win the top line and, and thereby get front-runner status? Is Mike Johnston going to be able to make a comeback from a, a, a very weak showing at the caucuses? And of course this is the, the last stand for Donna Lynn, uh, our current lieutenant governor, uh, who may be out by Sunday, but we'll have to see and maybe she can, she can pull off some kind of miracle. Penn, as a former uh, lawmaker, you, while you haven't run for governor, you've been part of this process. You're familiar with the assembly, the politics behind it. I'm not sure if you've seen one as crazy as the two we're going to see on Saturday. But as you see this big move this week and Walker Stapleton having already a point reserved, and Cynthia Kaufman, a few weeks ago when she decided to go through the assembly, 
it, it was her and the also rans. And no offense to Lou Gator and Greg Lopez and, and uh, Steve Barlock, but yeah, let, let's just call it what it is. Now it's a totally different story. What do you think? You know, this, uh, uh, David's right. This is going to be a student council meeting you don't want to miss on either side <laughs> of the aisle. Um, uh, 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 Walker Stapleton, I think it strains credulity to believe he paid a firm $200,000 and didn't know there were problems with the petition, especially when he hired a firm that's had this exact same situation before, as recently as 2014. So he knew what he was stepping into. Number two, he had to ask the Secretary of State to pull his petitions because now with all of these allegations and charges, he's just a sitting duck for more attacks. If the petitions are sitting on Wayne's desk and his staff is trying to figure out which are valid, which are lies, and quite frankly, it puts Wayne at risk because he's just survived his own lawsuit. So Walker had to pull out. Now, the reality is doing that doesn't really hurt him because it's hard for me to believe that between Cynthia and all the rest of those people you named that nobody else has heard of before, between all of them can get 75 percent of the delegates, which is what it would take to keep Walker off the ballot. He's got, I think, hit 30. So mm -hmm. clearly Walker and Cynthia are going to hit 30. I don't think anybody else is going to get there. Um, I don't think it matters who's top line in, at this point. Uh, it, it's amazing when I reflect on it and you look at the list David just gave us of people who were in and out. If Cynthia had campaigned more aggressively early on, she might have been able to shut Walker Stapleton from reaching the ballot with this assembly, but she can't. On the Democratic side, it's a little different story. It's basically Kerry and Jared are the only two trying to get on the ballot through the caucus and assembly process. Again, neither of them is strong enough to stop the other from getting 30 percent. They'll be there. Mike Johnston has already pulled out of the assembly, and Donna Lynn was never going through the assembly. So they're going to get on the ballot through their petitions. So Donna Lynn's only going through petitions? Only going through petitions. She, has never, she didn't go through the caucus or assembly process. Johnson started but withdrew because he had a miserable showing through the caucus system. And so it's just the two of them um, in, in the Democratic side. It'll still be interesting. Uh, interesting is a nice word to as a segue to you, Noel. Uh, what, what do you think is going to be the most interesting thing that we that you and your colleagues report on on Sunday after these assemblies? I guess the outcome and how it happened. I mean, they'll, we'll have like we've got our entire political team is going to be spread out at these, and they'll be live tweeting. Um, they'll be updating stories all day long. If you want to follow the horse race, DenverPost.com will be your place to be. Um, I just find this this whole process fascinating, and like th these yahoos, as my Tennessee kin, kin would say, out there collecting signatures. Like, who are these guys that are just you just sit at the Starbucks and write up, make up names, and put them on the paper and go, well, I collected them. I mean, it's just I don't know. Who are you getting to like collect these signatures? Um, is is crazy. But yeah, we're we're going to be all over this this weekend. Patty, uh, only two years ago we saw the, the, the real wackiness of Daryl Glenn coming out of almost literally nowhere and wiping out the competition for the Senate candidate, uh, Senate nomination. Do you see anything of that level of craziness on Saturday? Not that level of craziness, but first of all, I have to say, I can't believe David Coppola would disparage student councils because every <laughs> anybody who was watching this show on a Friday night was no doubt on their student council. Absolutely. When you want to talk about Wild, let's remember eight years ago, Dan Mays came out of the Republican Party. So surprising things can happen. But the, the biggest surprise of the year, actually, when you talk about the people who aren't running, 
Ken Salazar, if he had been running, and he was always rumored to be running, and a lot of people were lining up thinking he would run as the Democratic nominee for governor, we wouldn't have the fight we're, we're having right now in the Democratic Party. Uh, some of these, some of those candidates were smart. I think Donna Lynn, I think all, all three, Polis, Donna Lynn, and Mike Johnston, they used their own volunteers to collect the petition signatures, which at least meant they knew they were from Colorado, unlike uh, Stapleton's. It doesn't speak well for Stapleton's campaign that they couldn't figure out a better crew to hire and keep an eye on it because they knew there had been problems before. Every time we've called his office, they always talk about how short-staffed they are, which, given the amount of money Stapleton has, doesn't make sense. But he will certainly survive. He and Cynthia Kaufman will get out. I think they'll both be on the ballot. And then we're going to have a big fight in the Republican side, both sides. They will be wild. Well, indeed. Let's get a very short take on this one. Denver Police Chief Robert White is under fire this week for his mishandling of two incidents that happened in 2016 and 2017. One was a fumbled open records request involving a police officer accused of sexual assault, and the other was a hit-and-run car crash involving White. He was hit by the car. Mayor Hancock calls the management of both situations unprofessional but not worthy of discipline. Penn, unwor uh, uh, unprofessional but not worthy of discipline. Uh, well, uh, I'm almost rendered speechless. Um, Chief White, at least with the hit and run, what he was alleged to have done improperly was after he was hit and the person ran, he did a U-turn and chased them to get a license. So he, he theoretically violated the department's chase policy. Uh, you know, given now all the problems the Department of Safety has had with police and the sheriff's department and all of the talk we've had about this open records issue, I would have thought that at least a letter of reprimand or letter of caution or warning was warranted to the chief. And maybe that is discipline, and I consider it the lowest level of discipline, but it's kind of hard to go on record and say you're unprofessional and you, you have to pay closer attention to policies when you're the person responsible for enacting and enforcing the policies. I don't know how a letter of reprimand didn't at least go in the chief's file. And I like the chief. I know him. But gee whiz, this is, this is kind of amazing. Noel, this is your beat, but what's your quick take on this? Well, one of the concerning things in the report was the investigators that reviewed it said that there were personality conflicts and dysfunction within the upper ranks of the police department, and the mayor didn't address that at all in his press release. And then the mayor flew to Paris after the press release was dropped, and he's not available for us to actually ask these hard questions, and I would like to circle back around to that and hear um, what the mayor thinks of that determination. Patty, was it hard to issue discipline when you just got a pass from the city council? Well, that could be part of it. And we also are still waiting for the end result on the Matt Murray portion of this. We have to remember that but journalists are the reason that you are having these open records requests and you are trying to find out what's really happening. And the few, sometimes you think the city would just be really happy if all the journalists went away. <laughs> Dave, wrap it up for us. Yeah, fumbling an Open Records Act request is a gentle way to say it, completely blowing it off and ignoring it might be the, the, the more precise term. And in terms of the hit and run, I don't mind somebody chasing a guy who just hit them. Every good citizen might want to at least consider doing that. But then when he came on the scene and the guy had hit somebody else and there was a swarm of law enforcement around, mainly from Aurora, he was an uncooperative witness at that point and said, no, I don't want to talk to these Aurora people. Get me somebody from Denver Dispatch. Kind of strange. In every 
county in Colorado other than Denver and Broomfield, the people can elect their own law, chief law enforcement <laughs> officer and not be dependent on the vacillation of the mayor uh, about disciplining that person. Someone just got bingo in the David Copel CIO bingo game. Congratulations. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, but rather quickly, Disgrace of the Week. Patty? CU Chancellor Phil DiStefano, who attempted to take much, much of the control and all the money from the student government that uses the student fees. For 40 years, students have done a great job on this. They, and fortunately, he saw the error of his ways, sort of. He's reconsidering. David. Another financial shenanigan, which I learned by reading Colorado Politics last night, that when the legislature last year didn't provide funding for the governor's energy office, they didn't think it was a worthwhile project at the time, Governor Hickenlooper didn't obey the legislature, but instead went to the federal government and got a loan to operate it. So the taxpayers are on the hook for government operations that had no legal authorization from the people of Colorado. Extremely sleazy and a usurpation of power. Penn. In the category of financial shenanigans, in the wake of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, we got Dodd-Frank and we also got the Volcker Rule intended to stop banks from engaging in highly speculative, questionable activities with monies that were backed by a federal guarantee, which means taxpayers were footing the bill. Now we've got the Congress repealing the Volcker Rule, which will allow banks to once again engage in the practices that caused some of them to go upside down in 2008-2009. Noel, I send out countless open records requests and let's um, talk about the inconsistencies in how police departments and sheriff departments across the state respond to those requests when it comes to body camera footage, internal affairs reports, etc. Time to see something nice, bumper sticker version. Patty. Lieutenant Governor, former Lieutenant Governor Joe Garcia, who would have been a great gubernatorial candidate, but is now going to head Colorado Community Colleges. David. Delta County Sheriff Fred McKee, who this year convinced the legislature to say sheriffs do not, or police, do not have to arrest and put in jail people just because they're having a mental health crisis. Penn. Ditto Joe Garcia. Glad to see him back in higher education again. Noel. Thanks to all the Denver Post supporters. We love you. That was a really well done bumper sticker version. Thanks, everybody. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Be sure to take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. We are there. Also, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I am Dominic Gazzutti. Thank you so much for watching the program and supporting it. We just finished our spring pledge drives. I wanted to thank all of you who have made your pledge of support to Colorado Public Television to make sure that we can continue doing this program now proudly in its 26th season. For all of our uh, members, supporters, and our viewers always enjoying the show, thank you very much for your support. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much. Good night.